Praise the Lord. Will you turn in your Bible with me, please, to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible or need one, there's some on the back table, or you're welcome to use your phones. I know, everybody uses their phones nowadays. 2 Kings chapter 4. I do like using my phone. One thing I will commend to you if you're using your phone, um, I like the Crossway Bible app. They publish the ESV Study Bible, which in my opinion is one of the best out there. Um, the English Standard Version, that's what, we, that's what I preach from, that's what we use at the church here, is the English Standard Version. Um, that doesn't mean it's more holy than other versions. It's just a really good translation because, of course, the Bible was written in Hebrew and Greek primarily, and then it's being translated into English. So the way that happened is groups of people, scholars, got together and argued for a year on which words go where and the order and how to do that. And so they had whole discussions on should we put of or in? And, this, and debates and trying to figure out how does this work. Part of it, too, is you have to figure out how to make things flow. Sometimes things don't flow well when you change languages, and then you can't understand it because it doesn't make sense. So you know, that, that's, there's a lot that goes into it, is my point. Anyway, Crossway app, I like it because at the bottom there's a little speaker symbol, and you can hit it, and they have people that just read the Bible to you. And there's a bunch of apps like that now. You can even change it. If you have not a lot of time, you can read it at triple speed and just get through something, or you can slow it way down and just kind of devotionally read it. But it's sometimes hearing the Bible is a powerful thing because you have to remember these letters, and, and especially in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament too, were meant to be read aloud to people. And there's something about hearing it that you catch things that your eye doesn't see in the page, but your ear connects with it. And so hearing the Bible is really good. And if you're driving from here to Eolia to go home later, it's a, great, it's a great way to, to get the word of God in you. Um, as we look at 2 Kings today, chapter 4, I have a question for you. I want you to think about it. This is rhetorical, so just think about it yourself. What are you hoping God will do for you today? You came to church. I'm blessed you're here. Praise God. It's good to be with God's people. That's, it's vital. It's more important than being online. To be together is important. But you're here, and so being here, did you come here with an expectation or a question or a thought or, Lord, I hope or I need this from you? Maybe you didn't. Maybe you just came because it's church and that's what you do. Or maybe you just came because you just love Jesus and you just want to be here and worship. Also great. But maybe you came with something in mind, something you were hoping for. Maybe it's something you've been hoping for for years and years. A desire or a thought that you've had for a long time and you want to seek the Lord. We've been talking about seeking God, actually, for the last several weeks, and we've done it from different viewpoints, from Old Testament and New Testament passages, and we've looked at Jesus himself and healing people and raising Lazarus from the dead and all kind of things. We've also looked at Elijah and Elisha, and we've constantly had this little thread of seeking God, even though it hasn't been super overt, honestly. And so today, as we start this uh, reading here in 2 Kings chapter 4, I want you to think of this idea of seeking God. What does it look like to seek God? Because especially in this time period, it's very different than it is for us. And in this time period, what's happening is God's judgment has come on the nation of the Israelites altogether. They've split into two kingdoms now, the north and the south, which is Israel and Judah. And um, Israel in particular, but both of them end up having bad kings that lead the people into idolatry and witchcraft and all kind of craziness that God definitely said, stay away from these things. Instead, they've gone headlong into them. They've made 
covenants and agreements and treaties with other nations that are leading them into all kind of peril. Um, they have been overtaken now by the Syrians and other nations that are constantly attacking them but overwhelming them. And they're fighting for every scrap of land that they can have. It's a war-torn country. It's a religiously torn country because the people are divided to the point where um, some of the people of God have uh, been so depressed they've asked God just to just take me now, just kill me now, and let me go home because it's not working out. This, it's not a great time. And yet the Lord is faithful in all he does. And so there's this prophet on the scene who God is speaking through. And that word prophet, don't get tripped up on that. It means mouthpiece. It's somebody through whom God is speaking and telling the people his word. The prophets primarily of the Old Testament especially, but primarily even today. Prophets have one major job, which is return the people to the covenant. Anything that deviates from that tends to get weird and you shouldn't listen to it. So if somebody is telling you, I'm a prophet and I can tell you all kinds of things, and maybe they can tell you your driver's license number off your driver's license. Wow, that's, how did you know that? They say, well, I'm a prophet. And then they say, and therefore, and if it's anything other than worship Jesus, and he's the Lord, and he's the Son of God, and the gospel is the gospel, and return to him, and there's no other way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. If it's not that message, it's a false prophet. Okay, glad we covered that. Second <laughs> Kings chapter 4. This prophet's name is Elisha. And here's what happens. Let's start reading at verse 8. One day, Elisha went on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp, so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. One day he came there, and he turned into the chamber, and he rested there. And he said to, Ge to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shumanite. That's the woman. And he had called her, and she stood before him. And he said to him, Say now to her, See, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is it that will be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, What then is to be done for her? Gehazi answered, Well, she has no son, and her husband is old. He said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway, and he said, At this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, No, my lord. O oh, man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived, and she bore a son about that time, the following spring, as Elisha had said to her. Praise the Lord for his word. We're going to continue on in this story. But it's fascinating what happens here. Here's a woman. She's a wealthy woman. You know, it's not a sin to be wealthy, and it's not a sin to be poor. She's a wealthy woman. She has a house. Her husband's a little older. Um, could you imagine your wife coming to you one day and saying, I have a great idea. <clears throat> Let's make a room on our roof for this guy, this traveler that I gave food to the other day. He comes by here a lot. Let's make it nice. So we're going to get all the fixer-upper people and the you know, HGTV folks in here and spend a bunch of money and get walls. Walls are not cheap, especially in this time period. The roof of a house was a big deal. The roof of a house in the Middle East is the place where you hang out, especially in the evenings because it gets so hot 
that heat like it's trapped in the house. And so you go up in the roof and it's usually flat and there's always a little kind of wall around it to make sure you don't fall off. But that upper place on the roof, that's like the living room. So in the middle of our living room, I want to put a special room with walls, very expensive. I want to furnish it with a bed and a table and a lamp. I want to make it really nice. And the husband's thinking, fantastic. This is, we're going to put it on Verbo, Airbnb. We're going to make a million dollars. It's going to be, you are a faithful woman. That's a great idea. And she says, no, no, no. I want it to be ready in case the man of God ever comes. The poor guy that I feed all the time, and I want him to stay there for free. And the husband's like, all right, babe. Let's do it. So they build these walls on the roof in the middle of the living room, and now they have a special room that Elisha can come to. Why would she do that? She's wealthy. That's cool, going for her. So she wants to be kind. Maybe she's just really kind-hearted. But you know, in this time period, especially what's happening in the population, the people are serving pretty wholesale idols everywhere. And she recognizes, here's a man of God who's very much the minority. In fact, this guy's predecessor, this guy's mentor, had a hit put out on him by the queen of the country. And she said, surely I will kill you, and had a bounty for his head. So this is not popular people to be aligned with. This is not the kind of guy that politically you want in your house when they come to find you. This is the kind of people you avoid. You see them coming down the road, and you sort of do one of these. But instead, she feeds him, and now she makes this room and she wants to be hospitable and have him there. And it's not only Elisha, it's also Gehazi, this guy who's the servant guy who's helping out. And so both of them are up there. Now that's double the food. And they're both up there and they're blessed. And so what does Elisha say to her? What is it that I can do for you? Do you notice what he asks her? He says, I'll talk to the king on your behalf or the commander of the army. Remember, it's a war-torn countryside. And Elisha shockingly, sort of walks between everywhere. He goes to the Syrian court. He goes to the Israel's court. He goes to Judah's stuff. He talks to all the kings. He's the man of God. He just walks around and says whatever the Lord says. Most of the time, the people don't like it, and somehow he just escapes. But he says, I'll talk to the king on your behalf. The army, do you need some help with something? What does she say? I'm amongst my own people. In other words, I have what I need. Thank you. I'm safe and secure. In other words, I'm not here for that. I don't want your political connections, although they are not that best, let's be honest. I don't want that. I don't want your army connections that can keep me safe in the war-torn countryside. I want something different. And she never really even makes a request, does she? Gehazi, the servant, says, well, I, the husband's kind of old. I mean, she could use a son. Probably be good. Because the Lord, all things are possible. And so what does the man of God say? This time next year, you're going to have a son. How cool is that? And her response is one of perfect belief. <laughs> her response is, don't lie, don't lie to me. Now, if this is the craving of your heart, and suddenly somebody knows it, and puts it on the table in front of you, this is a different feel, isn't it, than just, you know, oh, that'd be great, cool. This is, it's the burden that she has. And now, she, I don't think she made the room for this purpose. I think she legitimately wants to serve the Lord. And she saw the man of God and she thought, this is an opportunity for me. This is what I'll do to honor God.
Now remember in this time period too, you don't just get to talk to God. How did you come to God? Do you remember? You had to go to the temple. There were sacrifices. You need to find a priest. There needs to be a mediator between you and God. Somebody who can come before you because we're stained people before a holy God. You've got to come and you've got to have some kind of blood shed before you can come into his presence. And then not all the time, just sometimes. Now, that doesn't mean you can't pray. You can certainly pray. But really, if you want some kind of response, you're going to need to go find the way that God had prescribed for that to happen. And the way he prescribed for that to happen is a mediator, a priest, a prophet, somebody who speaks for him, somebody that goes through this hierarchy to come into his court. Now, praise be to God, the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ is our, med our mediator. He is our lawyer. He is our high priest. He is our king. He's the once forever sacrifice who died for us. That now we can come into the presence of God anytime ready as priests and as sons and daughters and come before him without a mediator in between because he is that and he is God. How incredible. But in this time period, if you want to come and see the Lord, you can't just walk in. You got to have somebody. And so she finds this Elisha and she's going to bless him because she wants to honor God. And out of that, now the very desire of her heart has been placed in front of her. And so her response is as an uncovered person, as somebody who the Lord is looking right into the depth of who she is, please don't lie to me about this. Everything is on the line. This is a big deal. Let's go on in the story. Verse 18. When the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers. And he said to his father, oh, my head, my head. The father said to his servants, carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him back to his mother, the child sat on her lap until noon. And then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind, her, behind him and went out. She then called to her husband and said, send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may go quickly to the man of God and come back again. And he said, why will you go to him today? It's neither a new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, all is well. Then she saddled the donkey and she said to her servant, urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she sent out and came to the man of God at the Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel, by the way, a little aside here, is about 20 miles, roughly from where she is, somewhere in there. So a donkey running at full pace can maybe make it there in two and a half or three hours, maybe, at full pace. With a servant and her together, it's five hours, maybe all day. Who knows? But she's going in haste, isn't she? And she's not just, this is not a quick little journey. She's not going to the phone booth. When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gezehi, his servant, look, there's, Shum there's the Shumanite, verse 26. Run at once and meet her and say to her, is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And she answered, all is well. And when she came to the mountain to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet and Gehazi came to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone, for she's in bitter distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me, when he, and he has not told me. And she said, did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, do not deceive me? 
He said to, to Gezehi, Tie up your garment and take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. If anyone greets you, do not reply and lay my staff on the face of the child. Then the mother of the child says, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sound or sign of life. Therefore, he returned to meet him and told him, the child has not awakened. We're going to break here for just a second. We're going to continue. Here's an interesting thing about Gehazi. He runs a lot. Gehazi runs a lot. So when Elisha sees the Shumanite woman coming, he says to Gehazi, the servant, go run and meet her and find out what's going on. So he runs back. And she said everything's okay. And then when the woman actually comes, she's never fully named, by the way, the Shumanite woman. When she comes, she throws herself down at Elisha's feet and grabs hold of him and won't let him go. And what's Gehazi's response? He's going to try to push her away. Get, what are you doing? Get out of here. Get off him. But instead he says, stop. She's in bitter distress and the Lord has hidden from me what's happened. You know, prophets are not omniscient. They don't know everything. Omniscient means knowing all things. They're not omniscient. Being a prophet means you speak what God says. It doesn't mean you know all that God knows. And so here's the prophet. He doesn't know what's going on, but he knows something's very wrong. And in compassion, he says, what's happening? And what does she say? She responds, did I even ask for this boy? But you opened my heart. You saw the desire of everything I wanted. And I told you, don't deceive me. And now my son is dead. How old is this boy? We don't even know. But he's old enough that he's out in the field with his dad. So he's older in some ways. He can speak clearly. He says, my head, my head is hurting. But he's young enough that he can sit on the lap of his mother and not crush her. If I tried to sit on the lap of my mom, she'd be in trouble. <laughs> We'd have to go to the hospital after that. So, so he's a boy, but he's not a man, but he's not tiny. So, so it's been a little time, right? Now, that's important because, remember, this room is still there. And as soon as he sees her coming at a distance, Elisha recognizes her. And it doesn't say the Lord says to him, that's the Shumanite woman. He knows her. They're friends. They have a relationship. He's stayed in her house. He knows the husband. They're buddies. And so she comes and she's in bitter distress. And so Elisha tells Gehazi the servant, tuck up your robes. In other words, get your jogging pants on. I want you to run. Remember how far it is? 20 miles. Run ahead of us. And we're going to take the donkey. You run. You know, the Lord, sometimes that physical strength thing is important. It's interesting that Gehazi doesn't get disqualified by his own strength. Because, you know, Elijah, back in the day, in the spirit of the Lord, ran super fast, faster than chariots. But it doesn't say that the spirit of the Lord came on Gehazi. He ran 20 miles to go find this boy and try to do some ministry. If we're seeking God and we want to be used by God, we need to take into account our own physical physicality. I read this and thought, man, I got to run. And I'm sharing that with you because there's a reality there, isn't there? Of not disqualifying ourselves from what God's called us to do. So Gehazi goes and he takes the staff. You know, he could have taken a handkerchief. He could have taken a sock. They didn't really wear socks. He could have taken a wallet. He could have taken an ID card. He could have taken anything. 
Instead, he takes the staff. Why the staff? I don't know. Moses' staff did a lot of awesome stuff. So maybe Elisha, remember, the Lord didn't disclose to Elisha what's happening here. And Elisha says, I take this. Maybe this will probably work. Go, go now, go ahead of me. This also means probably some time has passed. Because Elisha in his youth was a strong dude and did a lot of stuff. But Elisha as an older guy was an older guy. And so he has the servant run 20 miles. He doesn't run 20 miles. He comes on the donkey. That's an interesting thing to think about. Verse 32, when Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. Remember, on his bed, Elisha's bed. So he went in and he shut the door behind the two of them and he prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth and his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself upon him. The flesh of the child became warm. And he got up again and walked once back and forth around the house. And he went up and stretched himself upon the child. And the child sneezed seven times. And the child opened his eyes. Then he summoned Gehazi and he said, call the Shumanite. So he called to her. And when she came to him, he said, pick up your son. And she came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. And she picked up her son and she went out. Praise the Lord for this story. How incredible. She gets her son back. You know, the, the story is just the story. It just has like bullet points almost. It reads kind of that way. It doesn't read, and the, like, it doesn't read like a novel we would read, where you're standing in the, in the room and you're walking and you hear the creak of the floorboards and the wind comes through and it's all dramatized. It's he was there, he laid on the child, he got up, he walked around again, he laid on the child again. It's, it reads very bluntly, doesn't it? But could you imagine the emotion of what's happening here? Can you imagine the scene in the room of Elisha coming in and finding this boy who he prophesied would be there, dead on his own bed? And this moment of entering into the grief of this woman who's come to find him who has no other place to turn. Did you know that the Baals, which were the idols that everybody's worshiping around, and the Asherah, these crazy other idol things that they were putting up on these high places in this area, those gods, those idols, were the gods of fertility. And the people would come and offer things to them because they wanted sons and daughters. They wanted good crops. They wanted fertility in their life. And this woman has abandoned all those things to go 20 miles to find the man of God because if he comes, something can happen here. She has jettisoned the hope of all her countrymen who have gone away from God to instead be one of the few to come fall at the feet of Elisha the prophet. It's not just about a room that she made to help somebody. She's put her trust in God. And now she's found this mediator, this prophet, who speaks God's word, and she's thrown herself down on him, and she's holding onto his feet. And what does he say to do? He takes his servant, take my staff, run ahead. And she says, as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you which are the exact same words that Elisha had said to his mentor, his predecessor, Elijah. Elijah said, go, go depart from me. This is not good. I don't want you to walk in this way. And three times Elisha had responded, as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave your side. And now he's been confronted with his own words, the words of his own commissioning to become a prophet. 
the words that he said before he received God's power, before he knew the Lord with him, before he could hear from God as a prophet, these were the same words he uttered. And now the fruitfulness of his ministry is at stake because the things that he said, this baby that was born, has died. And the woman is saying, didn't I say to you, don't lie to me? Don't deceive me? And now he finds the child dead on his own bed. You know that phrase of sleep in the bed you made? Here it is. And he's looking at this baby. Now, the prophet is not God. He's the man of God. He hears from the Lord. But he's not God. Can you feel him crying out to God in the same way? He's entered into the woman's mourning, and he's crying out to the Lord. Why is he pacing the house? He doesn't come in and just, oh, no problem. I know what to do. That's not how God's power works. We don't control it like magicians. When we seek God, we seek him, and the Lord moves because he's all-powerful. And so now here's Elisha. Why would you stretch yourself out on a dead person? Unless you're in desperation. Unless God tells you to. That's not a practice we should normally do. FYI. But he comes, he finds the child, and he puts his mouth on his mouth. He breathes into him. Why would he do that? Because God breathed into us to make us alive. So maybe the Spirit will, Lord, maybe anything. I tried the staff. Will this work? Then he puts his eyes on the child's eyes. Why would he do that? See what I see? Maybe if he sees what I see. I've seen God. I know what he's like. If he sees it, maybe, maybe something will happen. And finally, he stretches himself out, puts his hands on the child's hands, and just covers him. And warmth starts to return to the child, but the child does not come back to life. So he's up, he's pacing, he's asking God, Lord, I need you. Lord, Will you please be faithful to the word that you said? I know this is not you. I know that you are a God who doesn't deceive us. You're a God who doesn't give and then take away and laugh at us. And now this woman is in her distress. And here I am. And she's come to me and she's clung to my feet. And I've made this journey. And here I am. And Lord, I need you. And he puts himself over the child again. And the boy sneezes seven times. Could you imagine the feeling of what that was to watch that kid sneeze and to see him come back to life. The first time you're like, did I imagine that? But seven times he sneezes. And then what does Elisha do? He doesn't pick up the kid and run out with him. He tells the servant, hey, call the woman in. It's good now. We're good. He's, I think he's composing himself again. And this great miracle happens, and it's incredible what God can do. And it really tells us about what the gospel is going to be like. Because at the end of the day, when we read the whole story and we see what the man of God is doing and why would the Lord put this story in his word, it reflects what God himself would do for us. You see, we were all, all of us, sinners and enemies of God. All of us had turned away from him. All of us had become traitors to what he said. All of us sought other ways of fertility, other ways of life, other ways of blessing than coming to God. And God, unlike this Shumanite woman, God did not spare his own son, but sent him to be the propitiation for our sins. That means that Jesus Christ came, the very son of God, God himself, became a man on our behalf, that he would come down, he would live a perfect life, and he would ultimately die 
the punishment for our sins. Jesus Christ would be stretched out for us. Just like Elisha is stretching himself out over the child to cover the child, Jesus Christ covers us by taking the penalty for our sins, stretched out to die a traitor's death that we deserve. And the Bible says after three days, Jesus Christ rose again. He defeated sin. He defeated death. And by faith, we say when he rose, we rose too. Because if you believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, rose from the dead, the Bible tells us that we will be saved. The Bible goes on to say that if we trust him, that when he rose to life, we rise to life too. Not because of anything in our own power, not because we have some great splendid plan, but because his sacrifice was good enough. Because God sent his own son to stretch out on us, to cover us, to take our sin, and now to wrap ourselves up in his life, that we would have life with him. Jesus Christ alive for us is the, the miracle that this is foreshadowing that we would have life in him, that God's, even his enemies would be transformed to become his own people. And how incredible is it to see as Elisha is lying on the child and that child coming to life. How incredible is it to know that Jesus Christ died for us, but when he rose, we came to life too. What a great God we serve. I asked you when we started, what is it that you're seeking from God? What is it that you're holding on to you know, there's really two sides to this story. The first side is the Shumanite woman. She's seeking something from God. Now, she never says it. I don't think it was forefront in her mind. I don't think she was doing a transaction with God. She wasn't saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this house for your servant, and if I do that, I want you to do this. It wasn't like that. She was just serving God. But there was something deep in her heart, and the Lord had heard her prayers. That's one side of the story. The other side of the story is being God's servant because God's solution to all these things going on is to send his servants there to speak into the situation. So on one hand, you have the woman who's crying out to God, even though it's not in the passage in the terms of actually saying it out loud. It's implied that this is in her heart, asking God for help on one side. And on the other side, you have the people that God is actually sending to do the helping. Who are those people? It's Elisha and Gehazi, isn't it? They're actually there. They're on the ground. When I was, uh, I used to be in the army years ago, and um, I had a neighbor friend of mine, and she was a great lady, and she was a lieutenant, and um, she was a friend of mine, and she was probably the most awkward person I've ever met in my life. Just awkward. You ever meet somebody like that? Like, just could just suck your whole day away of awkwardness, and then at the end, you're like, that was weird. You know, that kind of person, right? She was lovely, lovely, but she was weird, just weird. And she was my next door neighbor. And so I'd get home from work and she'd come out from work, you know, her house. And she's like, how's it going? And I'm like, oh, it's good. Oh, two hours are going to go by. Just because like, okay, I got to go. And then, you know, oh, she had all these stories. And she was going through crisis because she got passed over for an automatic promotion. It was automatic promotion. Like everybody gets it. She got passed over for it. Because she was weird. She was weird. And I told her, I, I had to have these conversations where I was like, maybe you should find another job. Like, God bless you, but I don't think this is a good fit for you. Okay, moving on. So, um, so she, was, she was really kind, but she was weird. Those kind of people come into our lives all the time. And it's funny to me how God knows their prayers. 
He knows the desires of their heart. He knows the most intimate things that are in them because he made them, because he loves them. And who does he send to minister the gospel to them? Us. And a lot of times, they're the ones that are the weirdest people. Suck up our time, just annoying. <sighs> why, God, why? And the Lord says, this, this is why. Because I know what they want, and I'm sending them you to answer their prayer. You ever think of it like that? That God has called you to be his messenger? That you're an ambassador, ready, of the mediator of the world? Because we all need to go through that one mediator, Jesus Christ, to come to God. All of us do. Paul said it this way, how will they know if they've not heard? We have to preach the word to them. And telling them the gospel and telling them, telling them our testimony and standing on the word of God and demonstrating Christ to them by our character, but also telling them this is what the Bible says. It's, that's how God's designed it, that we can bring salvation to people. Now, do you save them? No, the Lord does, of course. Of course. Do you bring them? Can you heal them? Can you raise somebody from the dead? It's God. But he uses us. And sometimes he even uses us to do weird things like stretch ourselves out on a corpse. Now, that's a prophet. Don't go to the morgue and find a corpse. I'm telling you right now, God's not telling you to do that. So get that out of your head. But I am telling you there are dead situations that sometimes you have to enter into people's grief. And Elisha knew these people. He's friends with them. This isn't the first time they'd met. And he enters into the grief, and you can feel him dependent on God, just like the woman is saying, I'm dependent on you, Elisha. Wherever you go, I'm going to hang on. And there's probably people in your life you're thinking right now, man, I, yeah, they basically said, wherever I go, they're going to come. It's not about you. It's not because they love you and are such great friends with you. It's because you represent the mediator. And they want him. And he knows the desires of their heart. And so at the end of the day, God has called us to be Christ to people and to bring them to him. Because again, you can't save anybody. But the power of God is the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And as we tell people the gospel of what Jesus Christ has done and who he is, and he's the Lord Almighty, and you are his, and you need to repent and turn away from that old life and give yourself to him. And if you just knew him and held on to him, you will know life and life eternal. And all you have to do is believe. And they go, okay. And then we're shocked. He's like, do you need me to, did you hear me? I just said believe. And they're like, yes, I believe. What do I do now? And you're like, what? are you sure you believe? Um, did I explain it right? Yes, I believe. What, are we, what do we do? Uh, and we're surprised sometimes. And the Lord's laughing. Because he sent, he sent you for this purpose. That you would usher them in and bring them into the kingdom and see him. And the answer to that question is come be baptized. Come to church with me. We're going to baptize right away. I need you to meet everybody. And if you're like, I don't know what else to say, I guarantee you there's somebody else here who does. Not because, it, and it's not me. Maybe it's me, but I'm telling you, this is how the body works. We fill each other out where one person's gifting ends, another begins, and all of a sudden we're just moving toward representing, loving, honoring Jesus Christ and glorifying him in every way because that's what life's about. God's good, isn't he? Are you ready to run 20 miles to see somebody's salvation? Maybe that is actually 20 miles. 
Or maybe it's just walking the distance with somebody. At 20 years of being friends with this guy, 20 years of the same questions, 20 years of awkward, 20 years of weirdness, 20 years of being friends and kind, and I'm trying, and then all of a sudden one day, God just does something. You know, our time is not like God's. After 20 minutes, we're like, well, this conversation went nowhere. Sometimes God takes 20 years. He's good, isn't he? He's with us. He's using us. He's using you. He's called you. If you believe in Jesus, I'm telling you, he has empowered you to be his according to the word of God. Um, recently, we, uh, I took my boys to a blues game. And we had a great time. It was really fun. And we came out of the blues game, and there were tons of homeless people. There's a bunch of homeless people. And so uh, they were all along and doing their stuff and trying to beg and uh, God bless them. What, what's a horrible, hard thing, right? And so I reached in my pocket, and I had brought cash for the game. And I reached in my pocket, and I took out cash, and I just started handing it to the guys as we walked by. And I'm not saying this to puff myself up. I don't do that every time. But I did it, especially for my boys. And after we had walked through a couple of them, um, I was out of cash. And I took my boys around the corner away from the, all the homeless people, and I just stopped them, and I said, listen, I said, if it ever comes so bad that a fellow image bearer of God is standing outside a stadium with a sign and has no family to help them and is at this point where they're going to be this embarrassed, we just help them. We just help them. And they were like, okay, where's the car? You know, <laughs> so we're walking. But I'm telling you that because sometimes in our lives, we can get so calloused with all the things happening, war-torn. This time that Elisha's in, it's war-torn. There's prices out on their heads. There's not a lot of people seeking God. There's idolatry everywhere. There's instability politically all over the place. There's all kind of stuff. And Elisha ministers to the poor and to the wealthy, to everybody. Because he's after what God is doing, not about what we see in a human sense. And I'm saying that to us because sometimes we walk through life with these blinders of, I don't want the awkward people. I don't want those people with problems. I don't want to have to deal with these things. I just want to do this, and then God's going to help me. And the reality is God has opened our eyes to be like him, to represent Christ everywhere we go. And it's not money. Listen, if you have $1, praise God. If you have a $1 million, praise God. It doesn't matter about the money. What matters about is the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And we take that treasure everywhere we go. And sometimes it takes some money to help people. Other times it takes time. Other times it takes relationship. But it always comes down to the treasure of that gospel. That's what we give people. That's what we give our own children. That's what we give our neighbors. That's what we give our friends. Let me encourage you with Jesus. He is life. He's alive. He's seated on the throne. He died, but he rose again. If you would just believe in him, you'll have life eternal. And I'm telling you, I know from experience, I went from total death and destruction and darkness. And suddenly it was like my life was alive to God and everything changed in me. And I saw him for the first time and I could never go back. And I want you to know that. I want you to know God because he's alive. I want you to know him because he's called you. I want you to know him because I know he sent me here to tell you about Jesus. And if you don't believe today, I'm telling you 20 years from now, you're probably going to believe. Because I'm, I'm just going to do whatever God tells me to. And so if you come and if we keep being friends, you're going to know God. So you can believe now. And I'm praying for you. And the Lord answers prayers. So get ready.
let's, let's have faith like that. And then when they say, I believe, we're not surprised and shocked. Instead, we say, I knew it. All right, baptism. Let's make some calls. <laughs> we're going to make this happen. It's going to be great. Sunday, church, come on. It's awesome. And Because this is what life is like, isn't it? And it's good. And I'm telling you, if you're here today, like, Lord, I can't even pay the electric bill. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm telling you today. He hears. He knows. He sees it. He sees all of our needs. And he's good and he's faithful. And he often answers in ways we don't expect. And he often sends people to us when all we want is a check in the mail. But somebody shows up. And an opportunity comes, and God answers those prayers. And what is he doing? He's positioning his people like on a chessboard. You're here. I want you to meet these people. You're going to fix that. Okay, here we go. This is what God is. He, you know, the Lord knows exactly what he's doing. You ever wake up and watch the news, and you're like, Lord, do you know what's going on? I'm telling you from the word of God, the Lord knows exactly what he's doing. And he's using us. How incredible. Let's be encouraged today. Jesus Christ is seated on the throne. He's our salvation. He's our answer to prayer. He's our everything. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that you didn't leave us and abandon us to our treacherous, gross lifestyle. But instead, Lord, you sent your son. That your son would die. That you would take the punishment for us. Lord, thank you for this story of Elisha and this woman and this little boy. Father, we say today we have no life apart from you. Lord, thank you that you stretched out your son to cover us. Lord, because you did this great thing and because he lives now, Lord, we submit ourselves to you and say, Lord, use us. Use us that we might do great things for you. We repent of all our wrongdoing. We repent of bad lifestyles and bad thinking and attitudes and ridiculousness. We repent of thinking that we had it figured out, and instead we say, Lord, we need you. We need you, and we believe in you. And so, Father, I pray for every person here, Lord, that they would hear your call, that they would hear your voice, that they would know you're leading. Lord, as you bring to mind those people, even if they may be awkward people, that you have brought into our life, Lord, let us be faithful to minister your gospel to them. Lord, let us give the treasure of who you are to every person we meet, Lord, and fill them with life. And I pray right now that all the people that are coming to mind, Lord, claim them in the name of Jesus. Bring them into your kingdom, God, that they would know this life and not know darkness and destruction, but instead they would know peace with you. Father, thank you that you're so good. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, let all my friends here today know your strength. May you know the love of the Father. May you know the perfect rule of the Son who is over all things. And may you know the power of the Holy Spirit as he leads you and uses you to glorify the Son. God bless you today. Have a great day. Enjoy your week. We're dismissed. God bless you.